This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals, Poker Face, Mrs. Davis, Bupkiss, and a Friend of the Family, plus unscripted gems, The Traitors, and The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. For your Emmy consideration, stream them now, only on Peacock. Hello, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. This is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Well, today, I always think this category is one of the most interesting at the Emmys because it changes every year and uh, has some of the finest acting and it draws some of the biggest names uh, because they don't have to be in a series for 10 years. They don't have to be Mark Harmon. You know, they can just come and go and Whoa! do their whole thing. Whoa, I'm that sorry. Was, that was fast and hard. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I made a mistake 20 years, um, but uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. We're going to talk about best limited or anthology series, controversial thing, uh, but uh, uh, with uh, all of that, as well as the lead actors in those shows this year and, and what's going to win. And then you're going to hear a snippet from Dominic's conversation with the cast and creator of Better Call Saul, uh, which isn't a limited series. It's an expired series. It's yes. finally going off the air and it has its best chance now um, maybe to win. Who knows in the drama series? Well, maybe it's not the best chance because uh, it's up against succession and stuff, but nevertheless. And, and these indiv- that interview, of course, was done at our Contenders event back in April at the DGA, which was fantastic. Of course, you know the DGA have made a deal with the studios for another three-year contract. Not so much with the WGA, and so we just want to point out that interview was done before the yeah. WGA called their strike on May 2nd. Let us talk right. about our category. Among, I'm actually, believe it or not, that was a genuine segue. So <laughs> among the people who joined us at, at Contenders in April were a, a couple of that we, we think are major contenders for this category, and I'm going to name some of them. Beef from Netflix, Mrs. Davis from Peacock, and Monster. The Jeffrey Dahmer story. And I will tell you, I think that it's pretty clear that that last one is definitely in the running for a nomination for the best limited series anthology. Besides the fact... Dahmer, why do you think so? That's Ryan Murphy's uh, yeah. show. Dahmer. Well, I was going to say, because Ryan Murphy always has a show in this category, one way or the he other, does. sometimes they leave the category, sometimes they return. Yeah. But there always is one. But also... One of the things about limited series, and you pointed out a really good one earlier, of course, is that, you know, it, there's a little bit of a one and done. So it's it's like it's all in there. You either get it or you don't. It's like going to a live show. But the other thing is, is there's occasionally shows that are in this category that really become part of the cultural conversation in a way that only existed maybe 20 years ago was the last time it existed where shows could dominate the conversation. Maybe Mad Men did to some extent. Monster definitely did. The horrors of Jeffrey Dahmer's killing sprees, the, the inequities, the, the, I mean, the tragic stories of boys who escaped him and then were sent back and it's just terrible and all this stuff. But this show was able to get inside the cultural conversation, sometimes got very heated because sometimes people felt there was a perspective on Dahmer or what happened that they really didn't agree with and vice versa. So I really think this show has a very, very good chance, as, I'll be honest, I also think does its lead actor, Mr. Evan Peters. But we will talk about that later in the show. But I will say right away, 
You can put any other name you want on the on the list. Winners, nominees, but Monster is definitely there. Okay, you got it. Your serial killer. I got mine, and mine is uh, in the form of a show on Apple called Blackbird. Brilliantly played by Paul Walter Hausel. We'll talk about him too because he's also playing a serial killer incarcerated. His serial killer is still alive. Uh, and that show I thought was very effective. Uh, did you see Blackbird? I um, did. I was, did. And Tar- yeah. Taron's in it too. I did. Um, yeah, effective. I mean, I'll be honest with you. As I've gotten older, I found it more difficult to watch some of those shows. I think when I was younger, I was fascinated with that world. You know, um, Henry, yeah. of course, the movie Henry, which was so disturbing. Like, I literally couldn't go to bed for days. And not, and I mean that naturally, not pharmaceutically. But I, right. I, find, I, I find that I have less tolerance for these stories. Dahmer, I guess, really hit home with me because... I remember, you know, I was old enough to remember when he was caught, when those stories, when it came out, what had happened and the horrors of it. And then, of course, over time, we learned more and more. Of course, he was killed in prison. And I have to say, I don't wish horrors upon anyone, but maybe sometimes I do. Um, And I I think in that case, that one to me feels like the one that it holds you. It holds you in a way that Blackbird doesn't. But that's just, you know. Okay. I thought Blackbird was really interesting with having Taron Egerton's character, you know, trying to get uh, time off by infiltrating the world of this very weird uh, serial killer. And I thought that um, that thing between the two of them really made the show work. I liked it a lot. Um, I uh, also want to talk about Beef. You've mentioned Beef. Beef, you know, we thought was going to be in comedy series, even though I don't think it's a comedy series. Uh, they just didn't know where to put this. It's a half hour. You know, it's not this uh, longer kind of thing with the episodes of being at least an hour. So it's easier to watch. I watched seven in a row on Easter Sunday. Wow. I, you know, uh, well, I had to do it for our contenders event. And um, uh, so I, I hadn't seen it. So I watched it. And, you know, it's like chewing gum. You just keep one after another after another. It's a really weird show, but it's so brilliantly acted by Stephen Yun and Ali Wong that, yeah. you know, you do succumb to this show. Let's be honest. Like, Stephen has made nothing but brilliant choices since leaving The Walking Dead, which many people thought was insane because it was, at that point, the number one show around. Now, Got an granted, Oscar nomination, yeah, you know. Granted, for... he did leave it by having his character killed. So when maybe leaving, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't exactly the choice. But yeah, Oscar nominations, amazing choices. I will tell you, though, the thing that got me about beef, which I think you have to, I mean, I, I, you're a brave man how you did you did a, a single watching. I feel some people, they, if they can't get past the first two episodes and really get in and lock into how this these characters' dynamic works, you might not find it. But you should make it past those two episodes because it's very fulfilling. The thing that got me is I had no I, no concept, and I love her on stage as a comedian, I had no concept of the talent that Ali Wong had as a dramatic actress. Right. I'm just, I just, I, I, I would, you know, what's that expression people say? Like, I didn't expect to put that on my bingo card for 2023. Like I did not expect that one, not expect that one at all. No, not at all. No, but all right. So here's my favorite in the category. My favorite. I, you, you told me your favorite Dahmer. Mine is hands down. No, 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 no. That is not my favorite. That is the one. Oh, that is okay. the one. I. I. That is the one that I feel a hundred percent sure is going to be nominated. Oh, okay. 
Okay, well, I feel 100% sure this is my favorite. Daisy Jones and the Six, I thought was eminently watchable, wonderfully acted. Let me ask you a question. Are you a big Fleetwood Mac fan? I am, and I just saw Stevie (laughs) Nicks. At uh, uh, SoFi, I saw Stevie Nicks and Billy Joel together, and I'm watching Stevie Nicks, having had seen this thing, I'm watching Stevie Nicks on stage, 76 years old, 78 years old, you know, doing her thing, amazing. And then I watch what Riley Keough just pulled off here, uh, and really, it, it, it's supposed to be a Stevie Nicks type, you know, 70s group. Oh, they have a Nicks hit type. album, I mean, Aurora, I mean, how- the chart. Oh. It's so good. I mean, it's so you know, the good. thing is, I, one thing that's interesting about this is, you know, backstory. Of, of course, it's based on a book, which was written almost, was when I read the book. I read it on some vacation, and it was one of those like they, it was the only thing they had in the airport that wasn't a biography of some politician I don't care about or a crime story. Um, and it was eminently readable because it was kind of fluff. It was oh, this is Fleetwood Mac, but they're they're playing around with it and they're doing this a story. The transition to make it into a TV show, I thought was going to be a disaster. And maybe it would have been. But the pandemic actually led a helping hand. Because what happened here is they had to delay filming. And and Peter, I'm sure you know this story. So consequently, the actors started jamming, started playing, started learning how to play. So by the time they actually got production up and going again, they were a real band. And I bring this up because this is, as a former musician, as a former music critic writer, this is one of those things about these type of shows that usually drives me crazy, which is it is so clear that they are either lip syncing. I have watched certain shows about certain bands where I literally hear the song that's being played and the guitar player's fingers are not on that chord. It is clear this person does not know how to play guitar. That to me, of all the things about Daisy Jones, and there are a lot of things I was kind of like, ah, it's pretty substandard. But there is one thing about that is, is that's a band playing. And that band knows the dynamics, both in terms of performance and the interconnections. And that to me is the thing that makes that story really work. Because you believe that, which is usually the throwaway in these things. Usually the throwaway. I believe it. And Sam Claflin and Riley Keough, and you know she's Elvis's granddaughter. You know, she's Lisa Marie's daughter. Everyone thought, oh, she's a singer. She's not. She actually, the pandemic really helped her. She had a year to uh, learn how to sing and did it and now has a hit record on with them, which I think is so perfect for the Presley legacy. And I thought Sam Claflin was great. I thought all of them, uh, the whole cast in this in this thing, I love the structure of the show yeah. where they're all being interviewed years later and you don't really know what happened and all of that. I, I was... Um, no, I was, see, I see, that's it. funny you say that because that to me was my least favorite part because I thought, oh, that's just the behind the music thing. You've just lifted that that format. But I know it is, but that. it offers you don't know what happened until the very end. Yeah. And with these interviews that you just think you're watching behind the music, very well written here uh, by Scott Neustatler and his uh, partner and um, and did a great job with that. I definitely think that. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, another musical show that could wind up in here from Showtime, George and Tammy. This is Jessica Chastain taking on another Tammy. You know, she won an Oscar <laughs> for Tammy Faye. <laughs> and now she's playing Tammy Wynette with George Jones, again, doing the their own and singing. Michael and Shannon, of course, plays George Jones. Michael Shannon, terrific here. 
Uh, and also as General Zod in the new movie, The Flash, it's a big time for Michael uh, Shannon, who has his directorial debut premiering at uh, Tribeca, or did premiere. And uh, so anyway, he's very good here in that in that story. It's kind of a classic tale, uh, country music. I, I think that one's got a shot, Stand by as show. does a small Stand light. I'll tell you the one. I'll a small you. light is the, the story of Mies Giep, uh, who... Uh, uh, helped hide Anne Frank and her family for uh, two years. Uh, and it's called A Small Light. And that Geo has done that one. And you know what? They are really campaigning that. Oh, they yeah. are, they've got it out there everywhere. And I think that could sneak in. It's a very effective and moving story with a wonderful performance by Bill Pauly. I think Ms. Davies, who we, you know, we featured the, the creators and, and oh, the, yeah. the amazing Betty Gilpin from that, you know, this is a show that, with all the, the prestige and the big and the names attached to it, your expectations actually kind of go into a weird place because you just don't know what it'll be, and honestly, you don't know what it'll be up up until and, and even beyond the end once the buffalo wings are consumed. So that one is. But I will talk to you about now what is a kind of a long shot, maybe even a hail mary, and that's no reference to Ms. Davis, but is the English which I think has a real chance here, a real chance. I loved this show. And, you know, it's been referred to as revisionist Western, which I just kind of love the idea of that as a genre. But, you know, this is about a woman who comes to the West in the 1890s. She's looking for revenge about the, the death of her son. And she meets a cavalry scout and member of the Pawnee Nation who is on his way to Nebraska. So it's it's a classic American West story with a mixing of cultures and, and of, of desires. But Emily Blunt is fan, would use a bad word here that rhymes with buck, tastic in this role. Just fantastic. And I did not All right. I did not see this one coming. And I can't, I, I could not stop watching this show in a way that I have not stopped not watching a show for a long time. Obviously, people know you and I get stuff in advance and stuff like that. You know, we get to be busy, but kind of, you know, create our own schedule, et cetera, et cetera. The English, I saw it on Amazon Prime, and I could not stop watching. Now, it actually premiered in the UK a little okay, earlier. Well, uh, it premiered in the UK on the 10th of November. It appeared on Amazon Prime on the 11th of November. The English is a show that deserves a nomination in this category. And if you have not seen it, you should. It's a long shot because Amazon Prime also has Dead Ringers, the remake of the David Cronenberg movie, which I feel you talked about a show you have to like stick with, get through the first two episodes. I think some of that show is a little too graphic for some viewers to uh, stay tuned well, to. I would, you know, it's uh, funny. Just, I would not call this Dead Ringers a remake. I would call it, uh, I would definitely call it a reimagining. For lack, for lack of a yeah. expression, there. I mean, yes, there's some things that are. Really so does everybody who remakes a show. Yeah. They love that word reimagining. Or I went back to the book. Yeah. Or I, you know. <laughs> but, but in this case, you know, the, the the gender of the main characters change. Rachel Wise is. That was what was interesting, it, 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 and that is a reimagining. And and, and and in that change, if you've seen the original with Jeremy Irons, which I always remember when Jeremy Irons won the Oscar for for Reversal of Fortune. He stood there and said, I want to thank David Cronenberg because David Cronenberg, in giving him dead ringers, finally took Jeremy Irons out of the kind of white flannel suit world and put him in a contemporary actor role that allowed him to be seen in a whole different way by Hollywood. 
And I always thought that was an incredibly yeah. gracious moment by him, a man whose career I'm always glad. I think I think you're right. Uh, well, we'll see. Well, we'll see what happens with Dead Ringers. That would be nice uh, because, uh, you know, uh, Rachel Weiss is a wonderful uh, actress and did a great job in that. There's lots of good stuff, tiny, beautiful things, yeah. things we haven't mentioned. But we do have to go on because you have something to present to us from contenders yes. that you so did. I had, uh, that we want I had before before the, the, the scribes went on strike to demand better pay, better rights and, and the scaling back of the inevitable intrusion of AI into their careers. I had the pleasure, as I've had in the past, of talking to Mr. Peter Gould, who was one of the co-creators of this Breaking Bad prequel that now really, when you get to the end of it, makes you realize that Breaking Bad was actually the sequel to Better Call Saul. They just released one show <laughs> ahead of the other. Um, and the amazing, the amazing Ray Seahorn and the amazing Bob Odenkirk, the latter of which both of them joined me remotely by this because of scheduling reasons in, on other shows they're on. But we actually had the opportunity on stage at the DGA in front of hundreds of people to talk about this amazing show, its final episodes, its contender status, literally and figuratively, at Contenders TV. This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your consideration. Stream hits like Poker Face, the comedic mystery series from Ryan Johnson, starring Natasha Lyonne. Mrs. Davis, the epic quest, starring Betty Gelpin, from Tara Hernandez and Damon Lindelof. Bupkis, the semi-autobiographical series starring Pete Davidson, Edie Falco, and Joe Pesci. And the limited series, A Friend of the Family, from Nick Antosca, Plus, don't miss unscripted gems like The Traitors and The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. Stream it all only on Peacock. So let's talk, guys. Um, obviously, the show, you know, you guys came to this amazing conclusion, which I said in the introduction, and I want to ask both of you about this because I know the people have talked to you about it. By the time we got to the end of Better Call Saul, I saw Breaking Bad as a whole different show. And I'd been watching, like, I was a Breaking Bad fanatic. So give us a sense from you guys, your guys' perspective of how you did that piece of magic. You know, it's, it's, for my, it's all point of view, you know. And uh, it's, it's, it's a, it was a fascinating thing to me from the beginning to think about that, uh, that the crimes that the people around Saul committed were partially on him. A lot of them were on him, and certainly the Walter White of it. I think what he says in the finale is true. Without, without Saul Goodman, there would have been no Walter White. Yeah. And so it's it's um, it's the fascinating thing about writing is that you know we think of uh, a story as being from a particular character's point of view, but you can shift it. And in this case, uh, as the years went on, I started to see Saul. Uh, Jimmy as the key character, at least while we were working on this show. <laughs> what was it like for you, Bob, in terms of that, of turn, this turning the perspective? Oh, oh. yeah, I, uh, hold on. I've just, been, I've yeah. just been told that, I don't know, it sounds like I'm Walter Cronkite, doesn't it? I've just been told that Ray's here. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Hi! Hey! 
Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. No, no not no, at no. all. Uh, we're just Ray. We were just talking about the way that the show in the final season turned. It, it not only changed the show in its perspective, but changed a lot of people's perspective on what Breaking Bad was all about. Uh, Bob, we wanted to get a sense from you, and then also, Ray, from you. Obviously, Kim is not a part of the Breaking Bad universe initially, but now she is instrumental in that universe. But what was that like for you guys, how the, the show just changed perspective on, on, the, on Breaking Bad? I feel like I have yeah, to crank I don't my know. head. If I feel it quite that way, I, um, I, I think that Walter White would have still been Walter White without uh, Saul. He just wouldn't have lived as long there. Obviously, <laughs> he would have had a shorter run. Um, so uh, I, I think Breaking Bad is the mothership. That's how I feel about it. And what about for you, Ray? Because yeah. Well, I, I feel I feel much the same as uh, Bob as far as like, it's, it's not um, the relationship between the two uh, they always commented on each other in Breaking Bad, definitely. Um, the mothership, uh, uh, the way Peter brought in the Breaking Bad universe and the moral questions it raised threaded into ours, I thought was brilliant. And then personally, I loved how much, uh, as, a, as a fan of both of the shows, how much it made me rethink uh, the Jimmy character. Like, I think if I were to go back and watch Breaking Bad now, I would feel a sadness about about Saul, about who he who he was during that time. You know, that coming off that, Ray, Bob, one of the things, you know, we've talked about Jimmy, we've talked about Saul, but there's another character, Gene. And and these final episodes, we finally, after all the Cinnabon teasing over the the the, the final season, we finally get a sense of Gene. Give us a sense from you about that character, how you evolved that character and what we see in these final episodes. Well, Gene was a such a wonderful version of Saul to play. Um, he was obviously in hiding and holding everything in, his natural inclinations and suffering as a result. And then at the end, uh, Peter and the writers did such a beautiful job of allowing that character to go through a lot of changes in only a few episodes. Um, but especially that final episode, it's really full of, uh, this character kind of shifting who he is uh, every 10 minutes and then ending up in a place where he's um, sort of used all his skills to analyze himself and to share himself more fully with Kim. And really with, it, he's sort of, it, it's such a transformation at the end. And it's one that I always thought the character was capable of because he was such an intelligent character uh but he struggled with his own shortcomings but at the end they let him admit to him his shortcomings in front of someone he cared about and it was a a huge growth moment for the character i really loved playing it and uh, it was a beautiful piece of writing and i thought that right from when i read it you know to talk about another beautiful piece of writing it's actually it's almost silent writing which is i think it's in episode 12 of the sixth season, Ray, it's when Kim is on the bus at the airport, the shuttle. You know, when that, that scene, the way they played out, everything, I felt at least, everything that we had learned about her over the show was there happening before us. Almost, and don't take this comparison the wrong way, I hope you know that I, I say it from a place of appreciation and love, it was like watching a Buster Keaton film. Like, you saw everything without having to hear anything. 
I wanted to know for you, that scene on the airport shuttle, how you prepared for that, how you did that scene. And Peter, if you can give us a little bit of insight of what that was like from the other side of the camera. Ray? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a beautiful scene. One of the, one of the many, many rewards of doing this show uh, with this group of people has been how much they empower you to trust yourself um and that uh thinking thoughts and doing your work is enough and i've got to take this ride with um building a constant relationship with the audience being kim's greatest confidant often in scenes that they know what she's thinking and they've watched her suppress and suppress and suppress and suppress and um while it is terrifying as an actor uh and bob and i have talked about this at length to to not play against, to be to to actually break down, which is almost never the interesting thing to do. Instead of trying to keep it together, um, I I I was encouraged by Peter uh, and Vince that uh, you know that she that this was this was authentic to have her break down in this moment. And for me, it's it's not just about the day that she just had, which was horrific. It is she is falling apart about the because of the tragedy of her life, the tragedy of Jimmy's life, the tragedy of their relationship, um, and, and, and just the, the weight of everything that has actually happened and everything she has kept in. I would say that um, an observation that somebody could contradict me, maybe Peter, um, is that the only time that Kim gets emotional in the whole series? Because Jimmy gets she emotional. She tears up. She tears up when you read Chuck's letter with no emotion, and she is concerned. You. That's because that's a thing. But she right? is, is her. Jimmy actually she pulled had, it back. I actually had numerous scenes where there was a fair amount of, you know, breakdown and emotion happening over the course of the series. But for Kim, that's everything in that one scene for the whole six years that's everything coming out of her she just never lets herself get weak like that well and peter i wondered like is that something that you and vince you had really you know as as kim as we grew to new kim west of the character as the relationships changed it it was that something you were like eventually we will have this moment um you know we don't plan that far ahead <laughs> but we you know, one of the things that we learned from watching Ray's performance is that she has this remarkable ability to uh, convey things between the words or without the words. And you can, she, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a miraculous thing that Ray in particular has, which is that she can um, show the audience so much thought while, while hiding or not showing to the other characters. And I don't know how she does it. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's part of the joy of Thank you. Uh, the part of the joy of working on these shows and getting to work with a cast like this for so many years is that you start to know each other and you start to see um, just see see the things that you can learn about the character. And, and they, I mean, just like with Bob, you know, the, his ability to go going from comedy to drama and back again in the space of 10 seconds uh, is, is remarkable. So, you know, that gives, that gives us, uh, that arms us with ideas uh, in the writer's room. And I, I personally, and I think we all were really interested in characters who don't feel 
things in the moment. And for me, that's one of the things that's, that's surprising in drama when something happens and folks react completely in the moment. That, that, you have to be really in touch with your, your emotional state. I'm not like that. I feel things, uh, I feel the pain years later sometimes. And so I, it, felt, it felt like the right thing for these characters. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of that show, and uh, and I'm I'm rooting for them. I don't care who they have to beat. It would be a nice way to go out uh, if people can remember. Of course, it's been a full year since that's aired. But um, more power to you, Bob Odenkirk and Reese Seahorn and all of you. But let's look at best actor and actress here uh, briefly in the limited uh, anthology or anthology series or TV movie. Remember. <sighs> This, these acting well, categories really, include. It, I'm, we're old. TV movie was like was like the you know the the, fire, the, the flaming <laughs> inferno on ABC on Saturday nights. Right. Well, I think one guy. Let's start with a TV movie performance here. I really like and interviewed him for the actor's side, Daniel Radcliffe, while I was in New York, uh, and Weird he Al, was baby. so good as Weird Al. Weird Al, the, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. He's wonderful in that. And uh, plays the accordion. It. Anyway, Peter, nobody saw it. It was on Roku. It's on Roku, man. What do you mean nobody, nobody saw it? Saw it's it. on Roku. Everybody watches Roku. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? Charlie Collier. It's funny because once upon a time, maybe five years ago, and around the time you and I started this, you know, everybody like Spectrum had their own thing and AT&T had their own thing. There were all these offshoot channels that thought they were gonna they were gonna get some traction in the uh in the, the, the peak TV era. And so many of them have just fallen away now, just fallen away. Roku yeah. is like, it, the big thing is, are they going to make it? Are they going to transition into the big time? Or are they going to, they going to be stabilized? It's hard to, you know, they've got Charlie Coulter who really took AMC. To their Tire. Yeah. They, he brought, you know, was that Fox? He's now running the place, making a ton of cash, supposedly. <clears throat> we'll see. I've got a cough about this, obviously, but I do. Think, well, we'll, we'll see. Okay. I do think that Daniel, uh, I mean, People might give this one to Daniel because they know Daniel Radcliffe and they know Weird Al. Yes, and in your mind, Absolutely. you can just see that. And then even if you haven't seen the show, you might give it a chance. Yeah. I think um, Taron Edgerton uh, in um, uh, Blackbird and Evan Peters are certain here. I think Stephen Yun in Beef, yeah. if they buy it as a limited series, uh, is going to get nominated. I don't know if they go back and remember Steve Carell and The Patient. They on. But if they did, they didn't see it, did no. they? He was great. I think Steve Carell's great in everything. I think what's amazing you know, about and, Steve Carell is the range, which I don't think he gets credit for. Yeah. The range is amazing. That that's what I'm saying there. And you have to nominate Sam Claflin uh in uh, Daisy Jones in the Six. He was great. And also singing Michael Shannon, like we mentioned before, in George and Tammy. How do you ignore him? Plus they like him a lot, yeah. I think. I, as I well. actually I actually think the show has not received the kind of acclaim it should have and and I have apologized to certain people involved in it because of how busy we were. I was unable to write a review. I really enjoyed White House Plumbers. I felt it took what is a story most oh, yeah. of us feel we know. And I, look, I'm a, I'm a Watergate aficionado. I read all those books. But I, I, there were elements of this that really were Keystone Coppish and fall to my great theory of the world, which is 80% of everything happens due to human error. No matter how big the corporation or government or military is, you might think they've got this all figured out, but it's actually because some guy forgot to untape the door. I will say, or did right. tape the door in this case, 
I will say that I do think when I take all that into consideration, people might not have seen White House plumbers. They kind of know the story of E. Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy, but they know Woody Harrelson and Justin Theroux. And I think they yeah. might have a really good chance here. At least, at no, least possibly. Woody, I think, could have a really yeah. good chance here. You know, there were two. Um, Peacock had a show called A Friend of the Family, which I saw, and yeah. I thought Jake Jake Lacey was chillingly good uh, in that as this uh, weird guy. It was such a strange story. He basically kidnapped this uh, young girl neighbor that they befriended, his family befriended, kidnapped her not once but twice. Oh, no, no, no. You need to point, at, you need to point something out. This is a true story based on a Mormon it's community. Unbelievable. It's a true story in the 70s. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, again, it's amazing. Did not get a lot of, lot of attention because it was on Peacock. Colin Hanks is in it as well. Almost everyone involved is, is amazing. The woman who is They're the kidnappee in question in this was, uh, I believe, an executive yeah. producer on this and really contributed a yeah, lot. Yes, she to this, was. Including some of the elements. Absolutely. It's a fast. It's it's a good show. We should have mentioned it when we were talking about possibilities for the actual show. It could, you know, sneak in but there. But I thought definitely, uh, he was chilling in this. Chilling. He was good. And you know who I liked too? I liked Kumal Nanjiani in Welcome to Chippendales. Yes. I thought he was perfect as that guy. You know, now let me perfect. let me ask you a question. Let's just stop naming names yeah. for a second. And all these are great names. I, I will add. Um, you know, I feel like when you get to this limited uh, limited series. TV movie anthology, you know, because of the nature of it, it kind of is, it's prestige on prestige. It's the top of the mountain in that aspect. So you get these big names in here. Do you think that sometimes they cancel each other out? Oh, definitely. There's no question about it. It's just a tough thing. And it's whoever rises to the top with the most advertising sometimes for this to get people to watch. The key on all of this voting and that's why our contenders event and other things like it, you know, are so valuable because it's one stop shopping for voters because there's just too much out there, too much of this stuff to watch. And you can't compute all of this stuff. And it's difficult. But we mentioned a lot of good names of the men. Let's talk about the women briefly here. Jessica Chastain got to be heading any list here. Ali Wong. Oh, we haven't mentioned this show, Tiny Beautiful Things. Catherine Hahn is very good in that. I it's mean, a, we, you, you really mentioned it very good. briefly, I believe, once before, perhaps even in this podcast. But it's Catherine that really will be the one that makes or breaks this. That's what I think, too, in that show. Emily Blunt, of course, uh, you, you talked about um, uh, for the English. And we talked about Rachel Weisz playing those two characters. She's terrific. Riley Keough, I think, also, this is a strong category uh and you have you have a uh, bell poly in a small light well, you also and have uh, jennifer like jennifer gardner in the last thing he told gardner you. i was just going to say the yeah. same thing Elizabeth we came up at the same time for the the last thing he told me jennifer gardner one of the most successful limited series ever for apple mm -hmm. and um, and so and people like <laughs> Well, I know, I know. Well, also, um, I, I, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give one that actually it, I've mentioned this show before, Betty Gilpin. which is which is which is you know we all we all know and love her from the Gardens of the, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, but but Zoe Salander for the the Netflix series is actually a UK series as well from scratch, which was at, again not seen by a lot of people. And if you have a Netflix subscription, really you should watch it because it is beautiful. Um, 
And Zoe is incredible in it, actually. Incredible. In it. And, and you know, if you, okay. if you know her from the big screen and the big franchise movies, I think you don't realize how talented she is. And this is a really good example of that. Totally. There are so many. We could go. You know who's really good, too? You should check out this show. It's so weird. Uh, called Swarm yeah. on um, uh, Amazon. Uh, that's uh, Dominique Fishback, who is... Uh, really good as this fan um, in that. And Betty Gelpin in Mrs. Davis, we've talked about that show a lot here. There are so many names when I look down the list here. Cindy Sweeney's super hot right now. She's in a show called Reality. Um, I find find uh, this category, I mean, I'm going to say Emily Blunt because I want it to be Emily Blunt for the English. But honestly, I really, I mean, you've got, you know, You've got Vera Farmiga for five, five Days of Memorial about what happened in Katrina. You've got Elizabeth Olsen. You've got Zoe. You've got Rachel. You've got Riley. You've got Jennifer. You've got Dominique. Like, the, Jessica Chastain, Lizzie Calvin. Like, honestly, man. <laughs> it's anybody, <laughs> it is anybody's ball game there, but our time has come to an end to talk about limited series and anthologies and TV movies and all that good stuff. Many other categories at the Emmys that we didn't get to on our season here, our short season for TV talk. But let's see how close we come to the actual real deal when those Emmy nominations are announced uh, in July. July 12th, they will be announced. Remember, your voting is June 15th to June 26th. And the Creative Arts Emmys will be on September 9th and September 10th with an edited version on FXXX. But the big deal, the kahuna, will be the 75th annual Primetime Emmys, which will be on Fox on September 18th. Be there or be there not a writer's strike, I'm pretty sure there will be some form of Emmy ceremony. Until then, thank you for listening to this season of TV Talk, Deadline Podcast, TV Talk. Make sure you subscribe to Peter and I chatting our little heads off on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode of this season, past seasons, or future seasons. We love you. Uh, Nothing like listening to the past season that we did a year ago. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners Oh, no, I bet there's no, no, no. I know for a fact there's some hate listeners because there's people who come up to me like in Gelfins and like, (laughs) you were wrong. They were never going to win for best supporting. And I actually, I have to ask them, could you remind me who I suggested? Yeah, who remembers? Who remembers? Anyway, you can find all of our current TV breaking news coverage at Deadline. So thank you so much for talk, for listening to us. Thank you for joining us. Talk to you soon.